1: For Christ's love compares us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from the worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In 1938,
2: as Europe was heading towards the Second World War, J.R.R. Tolkien gave a lecture at the University of St. Andrews and there, for the first time, he used the word eucatastrophe. It's a made-up word, he just made it up. Um, And it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And actually it stuck. I've made up some words in my life and none of them have stuck and all of them sound pretty silly because, you see, I've not got a background in Latin. But eucatastrophe, that sounds good. And it means good crisis. Luke Sewell explains that it is the sudden joyous turn located at the point when all is at its bleakest, unexpected, uncalled for, miraculous, a sudden joyful turn of events. For example, the ring of power is destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom just as all seemed lost for Frodo and Sam. Or the puppet becomes a real boy The astronauts of Apollo 13 make it safely home. England win a penalty shootout, an unexpected joyous turn. Tolkien called the incarnation, the eucatastrophe of the human story, and the resurrection, the eucatastrophe of the incarnation. A sudden joyous turn that has changed everything piercing the human story with hope just as all seemed lost. When the women set off to the tomb on the Sunday following Jesus's crucifixion, their whole world was fallen, fragile and fretful. It was fragile because all their hopes had been dashed two days before fallen for they had seen all evil gather there on the hillside of Calvary there to crush the Son of God and fretful because between the Roman authorities on the one hand and the Jewish elite on the other hand there seemed to be threat on every side for these faithful women. Fragile, fallen, fretful. Isn't that just the human condition? Isn't that just what the last 12 months have felt like? They have for me. Life has been turned upside down by COVID. And our systems and economies, our personal plans and our public services, they've all seemed so fragile against this unseen, ever-present threat. I have been witness to distress and sadness on a scale like I've never seen in my professional life. And even this week it's been ongoing. Life is fragile. We are so fragile. All of us. Me, my plans, my hopes, my life, fragile. But the fallenness of the world has also been so evident. Over the last 12 months, we've been confronted anew with the horrors of racial injustice, of sexual abuses, of people in positions of trust and power wielding those positions for personal gratification, from politicians to police to pastors. Even this week in the news, as many are struggling to make make ends meet, we've read of some making £48,000 an hour through betting businesses. Vaccines have been kept for rich nations, while the poor nations will once again be last. From the hoarding of crucial information by world leaders to the hoarding of toilet paper by local neighbours, the world is fallen. And so am I. It turns out I'm not such a patient homeschooler. Fragile, fallen, but also fretful. Anxiety levels have gone through the roof. We've realised we have little control actually over our lives and over our futures. So we try and do the best we can to fix ourselves and to gain more control. Be more fit. Be more nutritious. Be more mindful. Be more financially savvy. Be more digitally able. Be more, be more, be more. And of course... Most of those things are really very helpful, but the message of be more is just exhausting because it traps us in our own capacity to ever be enough. Paul Walker says that the inner voice of be more will keep driving anxiety until the be more voice is met with the voice of one who says, I am that I am. The Corinthian church that Paul was writing to in the passage that Chica read out was also fragile and fallen and fretful. To them, Paul writes, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. What does this mean? Well, when the women arrived at the tomb on that first Easter morning, with their world fragile and fallen and fretful, they were met with something totally unexpected, uncalled for, miraculous. The angel tells them, you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. Crucified. The angel is specific. Christ died by crucifixion. Jesus who was crucified. Why is that so important? Why crucifixion? I mean, of all the ways the Son of God could have died, why crucifixion? Well, crucifixion was one of the most horrendous forms of execution ever invented, not just because of the physical torment, but more because of what it represented. It was the power symbol of the Roman machine. Mess with us, this is what happens to you and it was designed to do at least three things. Firstly, crucifixion was designed to dehumanise. It was an utterly degrading form of execution. It was intended to assign the individual a place outside of the human community altogether. Crucifixion said, you are less than human, so strung up like an animal for all to see. A crucified man was despised. Jesus took for himself the words of Psalm 22 as he hung on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very same Psalm that later on says, I am a worm and not a man, despised by people. Such was a crucified individual. Crucifixion was meant to dehumanise, but secondly, it was also meant to destroy. Crucifixion was intended to wipe a person from the human record altogether, leaving not a trace of them annihilated. Indeed, Fleming Rutledge asserts that though tens of thousands were crucified during the Roman Empire, we do not know the name of a single one. Not one, apart from Jesus of Nazareth. That in itself, she says, is compelling evidence for the resurrection. How do we even know about this man? Crucifixion was supposed to wipe from the record even a trace of the one who was hung there. A crucified man was a nothing, a non-being. Can you see why the angel says to the women, you seek Jesus who was crucified? And can you see why the Bible says God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Crucifixion was intended to dehumanise, to destroy and finally to represent God-forsakenness. Cursed is anyone hung on a tree. That's what it says in the book of Deuteronomy. And so when Jesus cried out from the cross, those first lines from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was just confirming what everyone already knew. A crucified man was God forsaken, dehumanised, destroyed, dismissed and nothing. At Christmas time, we celebrate that God became one of us in Jesus. And in becoming one of us, the Son of God assumed the fullness of our human condition, fully God and fully man. He shared our joys and our beauty. He shared our sorrows. He shared our shame. And at the cross, he entered into the utmost extremity of the human condition, ultimate fragility, ultimate fallenness ultimate fretfulness concentrated on Christ on the cross. This year, all of us have known fragility, fallenness and fretfulness without and within, around us and inside us. The Son of God has joined us in that place and gone further still to the very outer limits of that condition. The powers behind our condition, the powers of sin and death, they degrade and they dehumanise and they destroy. And they were all concentrated on Christ as he hung on the cross. As Paul writes, he became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God No wonder darkness came over the earth on Good Friday as Christ carried on himself our heavy burden with all of its annihilating force becoming a nothing. The women approached the tomb having borne witness to Friday's darkness and the angel says, you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. You, catastrophe, unexpected, uncalled for, miraculous, piercing the deepest gloom with brightest joy. What does all of this mean? It means the world has changed forever. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians just some years later, saying, One died for all, therefore all died. This is the great mystery and marvel of the gospel. It has captivated my heart again over the last few days. Because of the incarnation and the cross and the resurrection, we are no longer at the center of human reality, Christ is. Christ has taken Adam's race, Adam, the Hebrew root word for human. Christ has taken humanity, fragile, fallen and fretful humanity. And in his crucifixion, he has destroyed everything that would ultimately destroy us. He has exposed sin for what it is, dehumanising, destructive, godless. He has exposed it and borne it away at the cross. For you. For me. the world. Tom Torrance in his book The Mediation of Christ he says this, Jesus Christ is God the creator himself become incarnate among us and he saves and heals by opening up the dark twisted depths of our human being and cleansing Reconciling and recreating us within the very foundations of our existence. Or as Irenaeus, one of the earliest church fathers, puts it, Christ overcomes through Adam what had stricken us through Adam. We find, all of us, we find ourselves caught up in the same human condition and since Christ took on the fullness of that condition to the utmost, he is able to be saviour to all. And so Mona Hooker, she's a celebrated theologian, she says, in some mysterious sense, the whole of humanity died at Calvary. Paul goes on in his letter to the troubled Corinthians, saying... And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. In our fretfulness, we so often look to ourselves to fix our own problem, the the be more voice that we spoke of earlier. But it only really ties us up in greater anxiety because we can never be enough. In his excellent book, being mortal. Atul Garandi, who's a, an American surgeon, he interviews several people looking after the terminally ill and frail. And he observes that the individualistic messaging of Western society that claims that life is all about you and making much of yourself holds very little weight for the dying and the frail. And I can attest to that being true. He cites this observation in his book, The Observation of a Philosopher. He says, we all require devotion to something more than ourselves for our lives to be endurable. Without it, we have only our desires to guide us, and they are fleeting, capricious, and insatiable. We need something bigger than ourselves. Self-absorption is a kind of slavery. It destroys peace. It makes us hoard toilet paper or storm buildings or treat others as if they were nothing, viewing them from a worldly point of view. But we do that no longer. We were made for more. The love of Christ compels us. It reorientates us, it reorganizes us, it regenerates us, making us alive, truly human. The old Adam in me says, me first, take more, do more, be more. But Christ has brought that existence to nothing at the cross. It has no future. As those faithful women ran from the tomb, afraid yet full of joy, they met the risen Jesus. Greetings. He says to them do not be afraid and they come to him and clasp his feet and worship him in self-forgetful bliss they hold on to the one who has gone ahead of them the one who has gone through death and out the other side the crucified one stands before them risen as the second Adam born again from the tomb Glorious, no longer degraded, destroyed, forsaken. No, fully human, fully alive, God's chosen one, full of the Holy Spirit. He stands at the head of a new humanity, a new creation for every gender, for every culture, for every colour, for every age, for every ability. Paul says to the fragile, the fallen, the fretful Corinthians... If anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this comes from God. He has done it. It is finished. Out of nothing, out of the nothingness of crucifixion, he, the word made flesh, has created a new humanity, just as he spoke in the the beginning and brought everything into being out of nothing, so he once again has spoken new creation into being. Indeed, all things will be made new in him. This is the decisive turn in our story. Today, we celebrate in the present what has happened in the past, which guarantees our future. This is the great you catastrophe. Christ, the crucified one, is risen. The Son of God is alive and has taken our humanity, remade and renewed into the very presence of God and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Behold him. He is our future. This is a future leaning hope. The posh word for that is eschatological you know we will really know ourselves to be a new creation and in new creation when he returns in glory which he will and we will become the righteousness of God untroubled by the things that currently dehumanize and destroy those things will be brought to nothing even the memory of them wiped from the record because of the crucifixion. Still now, we, like the Corinthians, regularly know ourselves to be fragile, fallen, fretful. Even these women, as they were running away, having seen the risen Christ, were going back to a world which was fragile and fallen and fretful. And yet the proclamation to them And the proclamation to the Corinthians is the same proclamation to us. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And even here and now you can enter into it. How? Look to him. Behold him. Christ Jesus has plumbed the depths of our despair to bring us the delight of his presence. He has become as we are, so we may become as he is. This is joy to pierce every story. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so we can say, as old Job did in the Old Testament, I know my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. This is happy news. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. Everybody needs to hear this. This is news to run and tell others, full of fear and joy like those first women. Fear because God has acted mightily among us and joy because he is so good. The message is, be reconciled. Note the passive participle, it is already done. Enter into it, become what you already are. Reconciliation has happened, new creation has happened, new birth has happened and it is not anchored in your experience or your circumstances or your performance or even your decisions. It is anchored in Christ alone. Wholly and completely, he has done everything for you, fulfilled everything for you. And that is precisely what makes this good news. It cannot be stolen, for Christ is risen imperishable. Covid cannot steal this joy. Death has no victory against this hope. All of your fragile fallen fretfulness cannot steal this there is a new reality a new creation and it is in Christ so be reconciled all of you everyone become what you already are because of what he already is the Lord of all the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world the resurrection and the life so repent and believe Forsake your sin, they are only destroying and dehumanising you. Come instead under the Lordship of Christ, he is yours. So I say, come one, come all. Come to the empty cross, come to the empty tomb. Behold, he is not there. He is risen, just as he said, Fall on your knees, clasp his feet which were pierced for you and worship him and then go and tell the happy news.